www.wjffradio.org. Listen to us on your smartphone. Download the WJFF app. Listen to us on your smart speaker. Like us on Facebook. And follow us on Instagram. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville. Building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. Riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFradio.org. The Janice Adams Show is up next. The forecast for the Catskills in northeast Pennsylvania today becoming mostly cloudy in the afternoon, a high of 84, low tonight 62. WJFF Jeffersonville, it's 12.01. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. House Democrats are tapping another Republican for the select committee investigating the January 6th Capitol attack. NPR's Amy Held reports the GOP leadership dismisses the panel as partisan. Former Virginia Congressman Denver Riggleman is joining the committee as senior technical advisor. Since losing his seat in January, he's become increasingly critical of Trump. When it comes to the select committee, Riggleman says party's not important. We can't worry about the color of the jerseys anymore or whether we have an R or a D next to our name. It's time for us to look in a fact-based way at what happened on January 6th but to see if we can prevent this from ever happening again in the future. Senate Republicans blocked a bill to create an independent commission. Two Republican lawmakers are defying party leadership to serve on the House committee, Representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Last month, the panel heard from officers about the attack, which came close to upending the process to certify President Biden's win. Amy Held, NPR News. Two Seattle police officers have been fired amid accusations they broke the law by attending events at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Seattle's police chief says their presence on that day was an attack on the police profession. Attorneys for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo are pushing back against an investigation by the state attorney general that concluded Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women. NPR's Hansi Le Wong reports this follows a criminal complaint against the governor by one of the women. Governor Andrew Cuomo's attorney has called for the release of transcripts of the investigation's interviews. The New York State Attorney General's office says those documents will be released to state lawmakers who are conducting an impeachment investigation. Cuomo has yet to publicly address allegations by a state trooper that he ran a finger down her back and on one occasion touched her stomach. Cuomo's attorney, Rita Glavin, says Cuomo asked for the trooper to join his protective detail after meeting her at an event. He liked how she maintained eye contact. He liked that she was assertive with him in the conversation. Glavin said Cuomo wants to speak on the trooper's allegations soon. Anzi Luang, NPR News, New York. Student loan borrowers got good news Friday. The Education Department announced it's again extending the pause on student loan payments. NPR's Clara Lombardo reports the department says this will be the last time. Federal loan payments, interest accruals, and collections on defaulted loans have all been paused since the start of the pandemic. This final respite for student loan borrowers will extend that through the end of January. Student loan payments were set to resume on October 1st. In a survey conducted this spring by the Pew Charitable Trust, two-thirds of survey respondents said they would not be able to afford payments if they resumed in the fall. Claire Lombardo, NPR News. The U.S. was averaging about 11,000 coronavirus cases a day in late June. Now the number is over 107,000, according to Johns Hopkins University trackers. This is NPR News in Washington. American equestrian Jessica Springsteen and the U.S. jumping team took the silver in a jump-off at the Tokyo Olympic course. Sweden took the gold. The U.S. men's basketball team continued its run of Olympic dominance. The Americans edged France 87-82 to in the gold medal game and won their fourth straight title at the game, stretching back to 2008. From Tokyo, NPR's Tom Goldman reports. Kevin Durant of the NBA's Brooklyn Nets once again led the way offensively for the U.S. He scored 
scored 29 points and sealed the win with two last-second free throws. Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz and Evan Fournier of the Boston Celtics each had 16 to lead a French team that beat the Americans in their first meeting in Tokyo. For the U.S., the victory ended an Olympic run that began with doubts. The Americans weren't big enough, skeptics said, hadn't played together enough, and the world was catching up. A number of the other Olympic teams had current or former NBA players mixed into their lineups, but the entire U.S. team was made up of top-tier NBA athletes, and it now has a fourth straight gold medal and seventh in the last eight Olympic Games. Tom Goldman, NPR News, Tokyo. In Tokyo, police have arrested a man who injured 10 passengers with a knife while on a commuter train. Authorities called it a random episode that had nothing to do with the Olympics. Authorities say one victim, a woman in her 20s, is in serious condition. Nine were taken to hospitals. One walked away. The suspect, a 36-year-old man, reportedly told police he wanted to kill women who appeared happy. I'm Louise Schiavone, NPR News, Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Kauffman Foundation, working together with communities to break down barriers and prepare all people for success in their jobs and careers as employees or entrepreneurs. More online at Kauffman.org. Radio Catskill's Summer of Love Fund Drive is happening now. Think about why you love summer and how much you love having Radio Catskill. Then, don't keep it to yourself. If you're feeling the love, share the love. Give now at WJFFradio.org. Thanks. Give now at WJFFradio.org. On this week's On the Media, is it schadenfreude? Pity? Anger? What should we be feeling when we read stories about the people who regret not getting vaccinated now that they're deathly ill with COVID? That hunger for that definitive moment where the person who has opposed you has to say that they were wrong exists in maybe all of us. Don't miss this week's On the Media from WNYC. Coming up this afternoon at four, right after uh, Now and Then with Kathy Geary. And right now on Radio Catskill... Right, just right now. Compared to what? There we go. Right now, it's time for the Janice Adams Show. Uh, Janice Adams Show, conversations on race and courage. And uh, my name's Jason Dole, and I am proud to welcome to her very own program, Janice Adams, live on the phone. Janice, how you doing? I'm great. Hi, Jay. Hi, Jason. How are you today? I'm doing good. I gotta, I gotta learn to stop asking people how they're doing. That's that's my thing. When they, I should say, I should say, welcome. We're on air. How you? But I always want to say, how you doing? Well, how you doing is a great intro because yeah. most of us then get to lie about yes, it. Yes, but that, that's yeah, that's the problem, right? Because we got we to put on that. But face. I'm fine today. I, I am energized and ready to go with this second live show of the Pledge Drive, and um, also energized by the conversations that are taking place in the country at this point, and all news being local, we have to consider the impact right here at home in Sullivan County and parts of Wayne and, and Ulster. Yes, Absolutely. Um, so what were you, what were you thinking of talking about this week? And I guess I should say, were you know, was there anything from last week that that we didn't get to that you wanted to get to this week? Um, actually, I'd like to just jump right into this week, and this week because this was a big week in my mind <laughs> is the issue of voting rights. Now, secondary is. Um, is COVID and it's spiking, which is just insane after all we've been through, that people still don't want to get vaccinated. I'm not talking about those people who can't get vaccinated, but as is being said, this is right now a pandemic of the unvaccinated, and that's tragic. And as a person who lost three to COVID. Um, I'm particularly sensitive about that. Uh, But this voting rights issue, 
um, that I think is is really the central issue for this time, even above COVID, mm. because the people who are talking to us, the people who are making our policy, the people who are de- defining and decide what is best for us, if you cannot participate in that decision with your vote, what do you have? Right. And I think it's an important conversation to have right now as we are dealing with pledge and uh, looking for support for WJFF. Well, the, the question is there, too. Um, a few weeks ago, I was just driving, and I couldn't get WJFF, and I just kept switching and turning and turning on my car radio, and all I could get was pre-programmed stuff, um, very commercial, very, um, you know, up and... Don't talk about anything. And then I got um, other programming that was religious programming that was not even religious programming across the board with multiple religions. The only religion you hear, and I was raised Christian, so, but I was raised Episcopalian, and the only religion that you really hear on our radio is kind of religion that comes from the Southern Baptist tradition. So even there, you're not getting religious radio. You're getting a political point of view under the mask of religion. And I ask, well, what if you couldn't vote for that either? We vote with our listening habits, and therefore some stations get sponsorship and others don't. And in the case of public radio, we vote with our contributions and our listening habits as well. And hopefully today, by calling in during today's programming to to make a contribution and to say that your vote for public radio is going to count. Um, last week I put out an, an offer, which I repeat this week. Anyone who calls during the program or after the program and says specifically that they are calling for, let's call it the Janice Adams Show Special, yeah. um, will get for a contribution of $100 or more, will get a, a one-hour conversation for you, a private conversation, Zoom, for you and three of your friends, uh, that you and I and those three friends will have a private one-hour conversation on Zoom. So um, last week, a couple of people picked that up, and I'm hoping this week a few more will pick up that offer and make your vote for public radio count. 845-482-4141, 845-482-4141. And, um, and you call, make your contribution again for a $100 contribution. And Janice is offering uh, this one hour, one on one or one. They, somebody can bring a couple guests, right? Or no. I'm sorry, Janice, can you hear me? Jan, oh, Jason, yeah. your, the volume is very low. Okay, I'll you. talk a little bit louder here. But, yeah, so anyway, um, so that that's for a $100 contribution, 845-482-4141. And, um, you know, you, to me, the, 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 the symmetry between voting and what we're doing here is we're both endeavors ask the question, um, where is our democracy? What is our democracy? They're both are democratic activities. This is a democratic form of media. Um, and I will date myself now and, and, and talk about when I was v- very young and when I first came to the radio station, when I first came to be listening and then supporting the radio station long before I came to, to volunteer. Um, I remember hearing uh, Ralph Nader talking on Radio Catskill, WJFF, and um, part of what he said was the, was the concept of what, what's the democratic mentality 
versus a non-democratic mentality when it comes to media. And he says that, you know, uh, you could see something on TV or hear something on the radio, and if you don't like it, you just turn it off or you just change the channel. But a, a more democratic mindset, a more civic-oriented, uh, civically-oriented mindset is if you don't like what's on the channel, um, go and do something about it. Get involved with it. Make something else to go in that space or put something else out before people. And that's what we do here. This, that's the real, true democratic experiment of public radio. Changing what we hear um, is also a, a response to what we're hearing in the general you know cosmos kind of kind of situation yeah yeah when the when we launched the Janice Adams show uh it was really in response to the to the rise of trumpism which is the rise of white supremacy and indeed i remember one of the very first shows that we did uh quoted Niebuhr, um, that statement about first they came for the uh, trade unionists and I said nothing, and then I, they came for, and, and it goes on, and I don't remember the exact sequence, but it, it goes on to say then they came for so-and-so and I said nothing, and the bottom line is when they came for me, there was no one to say anything for me. And I had turned that into... When when he came for, you know, um, uh, Senator McCain, folks said nothing, even though he was, you know, attacking uh, uh, a man who had sacrificed a great deal for this country as a soldier. People said nothing. When he came for the uh, immigrant Indian or Pakistani family, and um in in fact let's go back to the mccain he he said he liked his heroes uh, trump said he liked his heroes who did not get caught um it, it was really a disgraceful comment whether you agreed with senator mccain's uh politics or you didn't it was such a violation of just decency which is what we have seen consistently. And my show came about to say something about that violation of decency that was being normalized even at that time. Hey, Janice, I'm still here. How are you doing? Oh, okay. I, I thought I had lost you. You did. You lost me to the telephone. <laughs> I went over. I was having a conversation uh, with Miriam, and um, we want to thank Miriam and Barbara for checking in right now and making a contribution uh, for Janice Adams. And they feel very strongly about the Janice Adams show and programming on WJFF Radio Catskill. And they say you're keeping up the fight for voting rights, keeping the fight for voting rights alive. And uh, they're keeping uh, keeping progressive democratic issues alive on air. So that's what they're calling in support of today, Janice. So thank you so much, well, Miriam my and Barbara. To Miriam and to others who are out there listening, and hopefully you will call in and make a pledge to WJFF at any level. Obviously, the the uh, offer that I made was four hundred dollars a. Uh, a gift of $100 or more, but a gift to the station and to yourself of any amount is appreciated at any time. And for that, we ask you to call us here at WJFF, 845-482-4141, and make a pledge to yourself to keep public radio alive and growing. You can also go online at wjffradio.org. And boy, I'm in a hurry, so I'm going to slow that down. You can also go online <laughs> to wjffradio.org. Don't forget the radio in there. And uh, click Donate Now. Or you can call me here. I'm here, 
482-4141. And uh, just before we got on air, it was it's a, it's a little bit frantic uh, uh, transitioning from one live show to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the midst of all of that, um, uh, uh, Rosie Starr uh, uh, took a contribution uh, from Lucas. So thank you to Lucas, who says that they love local programs, especially Kathy Geary, Trailer Talk, and Janice Adams. And that came uh, in right right at the end of the last hour. So thank you to Lucas. Thank you to Lucas. All right. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, and Lucas, I didn't I didn't notice this note. It's at the bottom here. And Lucas wants to take that Zoom call with Janice. So there you go. Oh, wonderful. I will look forward to meeting Lucas on Zoom and a few of his friends. That's great. That's great. So, uh, so we still have one of those. If anybody wants to take it, take Janice up on that offer. That's for a contribution of a hundred dollars. Of course, you can give any amount at uh, any time, any way you want to do it. WJFFRadio.org or calling here at eight four five four eight two four one four one. Now, so Janice, on the on the theme of uh, voting rights and and of yes. course this legislation, there's two pieces of legislation still floating around still struggling one is um uh, uh uh trying to essentially repair the hole in the the voting rights act um that congress could easily do if they would just vote to say okay let's reinstate the parts of the voting rights act that 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 require uh you know government uh, federal oversight of states that historically are discriminating against voters of color and uh, not only historically but contemporarily contemporarily yes that yeah because that follows from that and uh and then the the, the other one is just the overall uh voting rights bill um but you know John Lewis was you know one of these bills is named after him you know, one and, of the bills is named after John Lewis um and John Lewis a man who anybody who's heard that name knows the story of this young man who put his life on the line you know we talk about patriots and we love this word patriots but we limit who is a patriot. And let's be honest about it. We think of patriotism in a, in a very um, restricted way. But my argument is that the true patriots of this past century have been those who fought for human rights in the United States, that civil rights movement. That was the height of patriotism to me, um, that you took a country that had severe deficiencies and had to put your life on the line to make it better to remove deficiencies that shouldn't have been there in the first place. You know, we have a constitution. Why did we refuse to to not accept it if you put race on it? Or if you put gender on it, you don't really have to observe the contribution, the the Constitution. That's the problem that we're having. And right now in this, um, in this conversation about voting rights and also voting for what we need to hear and being able to hear about this conversation on voting rights, which frankly shouldn't be a con, conversation at all. I wanted to play uh, an excerpt from The View yesterday, ABC The View yesterday. Two excerpts uh, with um, Senator Democratic Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona, who wrote an op-ed and, um, about why she is still voting to uphold the filibuster, even though the filibuster seems to be what is standing way of voting rights for people of, con- of color all across this country. Jason, would you play first the clip with uh, Sonny Hostin? Thank you. Okay, uh, we yes. will do. And as we do that, just remember the number to call here to support us is 845-482-4141. We're rolling that clip right now, Janice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, Senator, um, I hear you about independent thinking. Um, that's, that's one thing. But ignoring history is another. The fil- filibuster has um, a deep racial history, and it's really the favorite tool 
being used by racists for quite some time. It was used to stall the Civil Rights Act of 1964. In the 1930s, Democrats actually used it to kill uh, anti-lynching legislation, which we still have trouble passing today. And it's used, being used by the Republican Party today to suppress the voting rights of, of black people. So my question to you is, in opposing um, the filibuster, you say that you support voting rights. You say you're behind voting rights. So what would you say to those like me who argue um, that protecting voting rights in this country is much more important than protecting a filibuster that's a relic of the Jim Crow era? Well, the first thing I want to point out is that the filibuster itself is a tool. And like any tool, it has neither a positive nor a negative value on its own. It's how we utilize it that gives it value. And so whether we're using the filibuster for good to stop legislation that's not helpful, um, like we Democrats did in the Senate last year when there was an attempt to pass police reform legislation that was inadequate and that did not um, serve the needs of our country enough. Um, or whether it's being used by Republicans to stop Democratic priorities. People seem to not like the filibuster when they're the ones who want to pass the legislation. But when we're in the minority, we being either Democrats or Republicans, we use the filibuster a lot to force dialogue, to bring people together, and to make changes. So for instance, when we Senate Democrats were in the minority just last year, we used the filibuster many, many times, including once in the fall, to stop legislation around COVID relief that was inadequate. And because we used the filibuster to stop that legislation that was inadequate, the group came together and we actually created a bipartisan piece of COVID legislation we passed in, Decem in December. Much more substance substantial, much more bipartisan, and it met the needs that our country had at that moment. So again, I would argue the tool itself is neither negative or positive, it's how it's used. And I would want to make sure that we retain that tool so that in the future, if there were an attempt to get rid of things that are very important to me personally, like women's health care decisions or protections for the LGBTQ community or protections for clean water and clean air, um, I would want to make sure we had that tool available to protect those things that are important to me and to my constituents. You know, Senator, I hear exactly what you're saying, and I understand what you mean. I really do, because it is, you know, today it's on my team, tomorrow it's on their team. But in this particular case, just to follow up on what Sonny was trying to say, I think that voting rights are too crucial to just say, well, we need to keep it for when we need it. It's too important, because if we don't have, if everyone in the country is not able to vote, you don't really have a country. Not only won't you have the filibuster, you won't have a country. So uh, for me, it seems like it's an emergency right now that we get rid of the filibuster, even though we might pay down the road. But if we don't have voting rights, what do we got? Nothing. You know, Joy, I'm really glad that you followed up on this point. So I actually mentioned this in my op-ed in the Washington Post. If we were to eliminate the filibuster or create a so-called exception, which actually doesn't exist. So you'd have to eliminate the filibuster in order to pass voting rights legislation, which just as a quick reminder, I'm an original co-sponsor of that legislation and have voted to support it and advance it, continue to do so. But if you eliminate the filibuster to pass that piece of legislation, then in four years or any time when the other party gains control without the filibuster in place, all of those voting rights protections could be easily wiped out with a simple majority vote. And you could have a nationwide ban on mail-in voting. You could have requirements um, for voter ID at every level of government for every um, election throughout the country. So the thing to remember, and I know this, is, this can be really hard to do when we're feeling really worried about what's coming right in front of us, is to think a couple years down the road on what it looks like if you remove this tool, this protection for the minority, what happens when you're the minority and that tool is no longer there to protect your rights. So it, the sense of urgency, I think many of us share in wanting to protect voting rights and we're all working to do this across the country, but eliminating this tool would result in very negative uh, restrictions on voting rights in the future. So thinking about this from the long term rather than the just right now term, I think is really important. And it's the way that I'm viewing this discussion. 
So I want to say our thanks to Senator Kirsten Sinema. I hope that you all will find a way to pass legislation where we don't have to talk about voting rights. We can just have them. Where we can not just talk about voting rights, where we can just have them. I ask that we play those clips from The View yesterday because of the danger of that conversation. On the surface, Kristen Cinema sounds like a very reasonable person. She's saying, well, today for you, tomorrow for me, we have to really think about these things. However, she's also referring to this as a tool and a, just a piece of legislation. But in the United States, that tool and pieces of legislation have not just been a few years down the road. They have been life and death for people of color. That's the issue. That's the issue right now. This spate of local legislation, statewide legislation, anti-voting or voter suppression legislation has come in response to two major things. The election of Barack Obama for two terms, which drove people of white supremacist bent nuts, and then the Black Lives Matter demonstrations, which took over the world because it looked at how black people were treated on an everyday basis and the idea that a police officer was so out of control that he would stare into a camera and put his knee on a man's neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds. And the response to that of that white supremacist core was, we support our police. Now, what does that have to do with voting rights? It means that had we not had voting rights up until this point, we would not have put in place legislators like even Kristen Sinema, who we put in to protect our rights. She referred to, well, what happens when things that are really important to me? And I found that statement very interesting that she said. And she mentioned uh, women's health. She mentioned LBGTQ issues. She also mentioned that she is a co-sponsor of this legislation for voting rights. What she did not say was that voting rights was also personally important to her. She did not list that. And it is not, clearly. If she does not understand that this so-called, that voting rights is more than just a piece of legislation and that the ability to disfranchise people across this country en masse, right now 17 states, have instituted this uh, legislation that will limit voting rights. If that goes through, what you are limiting is the ability of black people to not only have, and other people of color, to not only have voting rights, but when it comes to that court that found the murderer of George Floyd guilty, you will, since our, 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 our roles for being, for being in on juries, excuse me, since our jury pools are drawn from our voter roles, you will not have people of color on the juries. And this is not a pie in the sky thing. This is the way the history was. This is what the United States was before, not just before the civil rights movement, but right through the civil rights movement, pretty much until the death, until the murder of Dr. King. Mm. So until the aftermath of that, 1968 to 1970 is when we now have the first black um, 
elected officials, Congress people, in a century returning to the U.S. Congress. And it is important to know that before that happened, this country has a terrible history of cycles. And I don't want to go thoroughly into my historian's hat, but I'm just going to make note of the fact that we kind of think of our history with with the way that we think of ourselves as a country, land of freedom and opportunity. We think of our history as being a steady climb. It is not. After the... After the um, Constitution was affected. One of the most restrictive uh, clauses was instituted for runaway slaves. Runaway slaves, please. Who made me a slave in the first place? And you mean I don't have the human right to say no to my oppression? That was instituted right after so many black men had risked their personal freedom to side with the colonial, the colonists over the British, because the colonists were talking about freedom. So we go through that period of time. We have to then go from the 1790s until the 1860s of this depravity that is the institution of slavery in the United States. And then at the end, when we finally win the Civil War, and the Civil War was about slavery, after that, then we go through a period where black men, at least, get the right to vote, and they begin to elect congresspeople and other elected officials all across this country. Then in 1896 which is the year that we are now being forced back to, the, the push of white supremacy, the Klan, all of that culminates in the Plessy versus Ferguson Supreme Court decision of 1896, which not only strips black people of all rights under separate but equal, but forces out our elected officials, and we're back to having no one to represent us. That then goes on until the 1950s with when the civil rights uh, movement really breaks out and says we are putting our lives on the line for this. Now, people had been fighting all along. There's no point in our history in which black people have just crossed their hands and said, you know, well, so they're oppressing us, so what's the problem? Never did that happen. But the 1950s into the 70s, that thrust of the civil rights movement brought us as close to a just society as we had ever had. With the election of Obama in 2008, there's a faction of this country that went crazy that a black man could be elected. That is when the ratcheting up of gun sales begins. That is when he becomes not only the first African-American president, but the, the president who had more death threats against his life than any president prior to him. And that is when we have a real estate developer named Donald Trump start sounding the drum of sheer racism, of which becomes the birtherism movement, which spawns the Tea Party. And those Tea Party elected officials, some people may say, well, they went for our freedom. But what was that word freedom a code for, especially because they picked up on birtherism? The, the history of this country is a teeter-totter history on race. And that's why our voting rights at this point is in jeopardy and 
under threat, and so are our lives. And I'm going to be very specific about that. And Jason, if you're there, I'm here. or if you're on the, if you're not, that means you're on the phone. And so <laughs> I'm going to keep Jason on the phone by asking you at this moment to phone us in support of WJFF, in support with your vote of support with a contribution to WJFF Radio Catskill by phoning us at 845-482-4141, or by going online to wjffradio.org. WJFFradio.org and making a pledge online. And if you make a pledge for $100 or more, you will, if you, you will be able to take up, take me up on my offer of a one hour conversation with you and up to three of your friends. We will have a Zoom call. We will talk about, yes, we will talk about the topics of the day, if that's what you want to talk about. I should also say um, we can talk about my work as a historian, my work as a journalist, uh, and how maybe some about that ties into something that you want to do, your work, your interest. I'm also an entrepreneur. I started my own business as in publishing um, in 1990. So I've been at my own business since that time. And if you would like to talk about that, perhaps you're looking at the business of your own at this point, then we can talk about that too. Um, In fact, uh, just as a, a... Quick aside from this conversation that we're doing today, having today on voting rights, um, I do feel very strongly about uh, entrepreneurism, or forget the big word, about making a living and a life for oneself, and the ability to make that happen, and having the skills to make that happen. And so if that's something you want to talk about, how you, especially in this time where people are still hurting from pandemic, some people are able to go back to work. For some people, it will be about getting the vaccine so they can go back to work. But many other people are not really going to have work to go back to after this pandemic. And just because there are low-wage jobs all across the country that are not being filled does not mean that that is the job you need to go back to. And so if you want to talk about that, about entrepreneurism, making a living and a life for yourself and others, I'm willing to talk about that as well. But whatever it is, please make a contribution in any amount. We would appreciate it so much if you would, Cast your vote for public radio by supporting WJFF Radio Catskill. The phone number, 845-482-4141, Our website, wjffradio.org. WJFF Radio. You have to add the radio part. WJFFradio.org. Either way, for any amount, cast your vote. And if you feel like giving, um, if you feel like giving uh, at the level of, uh, if you feel like becoming a sustaining giver, you sign up and you give every month. Like so many things in our lives work that way now, subscription based. You can sign up to support Radio Catskill in that way uh, for as little as $10 a month. Or more, and uh, if you sign up though at fifteen dollars a month is a new we call this being a sound supporter by the way, if you sign up to be a recurring sound supporter at fifteen dollars a month or more, you get a ticket and popcorn to see the summer of soul movie 
uh, when it comes to Calhoun Theater next weekend. And if you're already a sound supporter, first, we thank you so much for that continuing support. And second, if you increase your sound supportership by $10 a month uh, during this summer fun drive, you too can get a ticket and a popcorn to that movie. And Janice, we just started breaking the news yesterday that uh, after the, the Sunday matinee showing of Summer of Soul next week, um, you will be there to talk to the audience afterwards, and I will be there to ask you questions. <laughs> this is so much fun. Um, my husband, actually, was a featured performer at the Summer of Soul. It was before that. Um, but he was, uh, it was called the Harlem Cultural Festival at Mount Morris Park, and he was one of the featured performers. Um, and two years later is when we, we met and married. Um, but I actually attended the Harlem Cultural Festival, now memorialized as the Summer of Soul uh, concert. And um, so we'll be talking about both, um, we'll be talking about that concert, that amazing Con- really, it was more than one concert. It was a summer-long festival, yeah, yeah. six weeks, uh, and what that meant, and understanding, too, what that meant in view of what I'm talking about right now about voting rights, because it was an outpouring in response to an outcry mm. for the freedom of African-American people in the United States. Eight four five four eight two four one four one. Call now to give what you can, or go and make your contribution right now at wjffradio.org. Uh, this is the Janice Adams Show, and you've been listening to Janice Adams live on air, which does not often happen. So it's a rare treat, and it's always a treat uh, that we have Janice here on the station all the time. Uh, Janice, you want to talk to folks? I gotta get the phone. Um, I I will talk, and I hope if. If you are still there, somebody somebody must be here. They got the phone. Um, would do you want? Do you want to play this n- I'd last love clip? To play another clip. One more clip about this voting rights issue. And I've chosen this clip. It is you will hear the voice of actor Keith David, but it is from it is the words of John Lewis, the John Lewis, in his book Across That Bridge of vision for change and the future of America. And I've chosen this clip because so many of us today, people listening to the sound of my voice, don't really know what it felt like, what it meant when voting rights, when the voting rights of black people were denied, which is what we are in danger of experiencing all over again. That's why it's so personal, so such an emergency that we have to discuss it. So, Jason, if you would play that clip from um, from John Lewis's book, Across That Bridge, A Vision for Change in yes. the Future. Let's do it right now. This is the Janice Adams Show on Radio Catskill. Some states used what was called a grandfather clause to retard our progress after the 15th Amendment passed. Anyone whose grandfather had the right to vote before the Civil War could continue to exercise that right without any impediment. But if a person's grandfather had not been eligible before the war, then he or she had to take a so-called literacy test in order to qualify to register to vote in federal elections. Obviously, none of our grandfathers fell into the first category, so we had to be prepared to take that test. To register in Alabama, a person had to fill out a four-page application that was developed by the White Citizens Council, a coalition of businessmen, government officials, and prominent citizens who collectively imposed economic sanctions against any black person who even attempted to register. They could be fired from their jobs, evicted from their homes, foreclosed upon by banks or other lenders. The council made it easy to discover who these folks were, since the registrar's office was open only during business hours. On the first and third Monday of each month, they had to ask for time off from work. In a small rural town, news travels fast. In addition, 
the names of all applicants were published in the newspaper. As if these methods of intimidation were not discouraging enough, the council would also leak information to the Ku Klux Klan, which was prepared to injure, maim, and kill any African American attempting to vote, threatening families and damaging property to ensure the registrant did not try it again. The literacy test itself generally comprised three parts. The test varied from any one of one hundred different versions that the registrar could use and administer at will. The first section often required an individual to write out a long technical passage of the Constitution, either by copying the text or taking dictation from the registrar. Most black people were made to take dictation. The registrar noted any errors the applicant made in reproducing the text. The second portion of the test might question the individual on the meaning of the section he or she had been required to duplicate, or it might require him or her to interpret a complicated portion of the Constitution. The last section of the test was a quiz on matters of county and state law. Once the test was completed, a panel of judges convened in secret to evaluate the responses and determine whether the individual had passed the test. The judges had no responsibility to form their decision based on the answers given on the test, and their ruling could not be appealed or reversed. That test was so difficult that college professors, trained lawyers, and teachers were regularly deemed insufficient to pass the test. Recently, I met with Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates. He told me that he read questions from the Alabama literacy test to see whether a Harvard professor could pass it. His friend could only answer one out of the three questions he was asked. The test was nearly impossible to pass. In some places, officials even threw in a completely irrational measure to further frustrate potential black voters. They might require citizens to count the number of jelly beans in a jar or the number of bubbles in a jar of soap. These kinds of blatant attempts to stop black voter participation were humiliating and demeaning, and unfortunately, they were effective. This unfortunately, is... they were effective. Yeah. And so what does that have to do with us today? You know, okay, that happened in the past. But I want to make the point. He talks about this intimidation of voters and the voter rolls, those people who applied, their names being in the newspaper so that they would be open to intimidation. Let me remind you that in those states that Trump targeted, saying that the vote did not go his way, he was asking for the list of voters. He was asking for the voter roll list. Okay? Um, that's today. We talk about Black Lives Matter. Why is that important? What, you know, why is that seen as such a threat? Because on average, even though we talk about George Floyd, for the past few years, on average, one unarmed black person has been killed by police somewhere in this country, on average, once a week. That number is higher than the official number of people lynched at the peak of the lynching era. That's why voting rights is so inextricably not just a matter of casting a ballot, but it's about life and death. That's why we say that. 845-482-4141. Call now to support the Janice Adams Show, Conversations on Race and Courage and What is Happening in This American Moment. And uh, we want to right now, Janice, thank uh, listener Neil for checking in. 
calling in support during the Janice Adams show and uh, wanting to uh, take that Zoom call. Of course, they'll need to work out the logistics with you and, and, and their friends, but they're, they're, they're at that level and, and, and are interested. So we, we, we'll get well, you Mike, their info. Well, thanks to them for calling. I, I did not hear the name correctly. N- that's Neil. 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 Well, yeah. thank you to Neil and um, to the person who called earlier. Thank you to everyone who is calling for that offer. But thank you, too, to those who are calling with any amount they afford and voting for public radio, voting for my show, which I'm delightful to have air here on WJFF, and voting for yourself voting for your right to have the democratic institution of not pre-programming, pre-programmed noise, but of a discerning listening environment. So thank you for your vote. Absolutely. 845-482-4141, wjffradio.org. Um, Janice, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing these thoughts. We do still have um, a few minutes left, so there's still time for people to call in their support or go to WJFFradio.org. Um, there's still time for, for us to talk. You've been doing so much talking. I'm going to try to say a few things out just to give you a breath. But uh, uh, what what else? Is there any final thoughts for the day? Well, you know, I would I would ask you, Jason, your response to what what I've been talking about today. Because, you know, for me, well, it's not personal, just personal. It's universal. Um, But what are your thoughts as as we listen to, like, Kristen Cinema, the senator. You, you know what Democratic my thought? The thoughts with her, like there's there 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 is this conversation on race and this, and it's very much a part of voter rights. But uh, when I, when I'm listening to her, the uh, what do I say? Like to me, it's almost uh, what I'm listening to is somebody trying to explain to me why the government doesn't shouldn't work. <laughs> and it's like somebody in government saying, "Well, yes, but you can't expect this to work." You can't you can't expect, you know, well, we were sent there to represent people, but we're not going to actually vote on uh, on what the people want. Uh, uh, Let's play these games. And, you know, it's like just wading into that whole arcane. I mean, let's the Senate was designed to be undemocratic. That's 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 the the headline Mm -hmm. there. And yet it can't even function to what what little degree of representation it would have given people. It can't even pull that off anymore. And we got to listen to somebody talk about these these ridiculous rules and these, quote unquote, tools when we know exactly what those tools have been used to build or dismantle in the past. So uh, it's you know, I. I, I come across maybe cynical listening to that, but I feel like she's being cynical. Uh, yes. Cynical, hypocritical, yeah. and deliberately obfuscating the actual issue. Right. And, I got, and, and I'm tired of the, I'm tired of like the quote unquote, the media, like people complain about the media, we're the media, but like, uh, you know, major and respectable news outlets continuing to cover the politics of this. Will they do this with the filibuster? Will they do that with the filibuster? It's like, you know, and, and as um, uh, Raphael Warnock from uh, Georgia, uh, mm-hmm. who was put there in a historic moment, uh, so rightly told everyone, if we were talking about the issues, we wouldn't have to talk about these political uh, arcane mechanizations of how this supposed uh, representative democracy works. If we would talk about the issues in the public and the media more, then it would be overwhelming because the majority of the American people are are in support of voting and voting rights. So it, it's it's frustrating on so many levels. It is frustrating. And I don't want to go without mentioning Joe Manchin senator from West Virginia as well. The minute I heard him talk months ago about why states' rights was important and this was a states' rights issue, I knew that he was a segregationist, pure and simple, because states' rights was the number one code that used to be used to justify segregation, that it was the right of date to set its own 
rules. Oh, please, this is a U.S. Constitution, and it is the right of the state to defy the Constitution by creating these kinds of ruses like citizens' councils, who gets a test and who doesn't get a test, how familiar it is that the council went into a secret session to decide if you, quote, pass the test. Well, my goodness, doesn't that sound familiar with the new laws that are being put into place in Texas and Arizona, where if they don't like the outcome of the election, they get to put electors who are in place to make it a different result? What are we what are we looking at here? What are we talking about mm-hmm. here? So yes, I think of it in racial terms because this is something that has affected my life for no other